One man challenged another to an all-day wood-chomping contest. Uh, The challenger worked very hard. He was one of those buff and rough and tough guys and thought, I don't need a break. A break is for wussies. And so he decided to just keep on chopping and chopping, but he had to go to the bathroom. So he went to the bathroom at least once, but went back to keep on chopping the wood. And when he looked at the other man, he, he saw this man stopping for lunch pretty often. He often would have a snack or go to the bathroom or take a water break. And so he thought to himself, I got this in the bag. This isn't even a competition. I'm going to cream this guy. At the end of the day, the challenger was a little bit surprised, a little bit annoyed to see that at the end of the day that the other man had chopped substantially more wood than he had. The challenger, this man just couldn't understand, you know, I only stopped once, but every time I looked at this guy, like, you were just always taking a break, like, I, I, I should have won this. The other man responded and said, what you didn't see, that when I rested, I sharpened my axe. Whenever we sacrifice rest for work, eventually it will impact our thoughts, our words, and our actions. You see, when we consistently work all the time, we become dull. We become weak, like the axe. And often we work harder to produce less than ideal results, and it discourages us. It frustrates us, and eventually we can burn out. Whereas when we take the time to rest, we sharpen our axe. We, we become stronger, our, our body, our mind, and our spirit to put forth our very best effort and to be encouraged with the results of what we're putting forth. You see, we sacrifice our best results. We sacrifice the best version of ourselves when we don't take time to rest. We've been going through a series in the Ten Commandments, and it's called Back to Basics. This is week three. And God loves his people. God loves his people. And like any good parent, he gives the Israelites commands, rules, things to follow, not to be a burden, not to ruin fun, but ultimately to protect them, to produce the best results for their life. You know, when I was younger, my parents would have rules in our household, and oftentimes I wouldn't really understand and everything within me when they tell me not to do that, that's exactly what I wanted to do. But what I didn't realize until I was much older was that my parents were protecting me from harm. They didn't want me to make the same foolish mistakes. They wanted the best for my life, and that's what God wants for his people. Deuteronomy 10.13 reminds us that obeying God's commands is ultimately for our good. Obeying God's commands are ultimately for our good. As we dive into this topic called the Sabbath, we understand that worship and rest matters. When I refer to the Sabbath, I'm talking about stopping our regular responsibilities and giving intentional time with God weekly. The Sabbath is stopping our regular responsibilities and giving intentional time with God weekly. 
You see, we cannot do and be our best when we're continually just pouring ourselves out. You see, the Sabbath is an opportunity for God to pour into us with his strength, with his pure qualities, with his passion, his desire, and his strength. And if you find that you're tired, discouraged, lacking passion, desire, energy, maybe we're spilling out things through our words and our actions that are less than ideal, maybe they're harmful, maybe we need to change what we're pouring in. Because what we're presently relying upon is not enough. It's not enough. So as we dive into the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 20, and the verses are going to be on the screen, this is the command that God gives to the nation of Israel about the Sabbath, starting in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the foreigner within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. You see, the history behind the Sabbath day is based upon the creation account in which on the seventh day, God rested. The previous six days, God worked. He created the heavens and the earth, the sky and the sea, the plants and animals and mankind. But on the seventh day, God rested. What's interesting in Genesis 2, verses 2 through 3, it says this, but on the seventh day, God had finished all his work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because he rested from all the work that he had been creating to do. What's interesting about this word rested, it comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means to stop and cease from all labor. To stop working. What's interesting about this passage of scripture is that God didn't need to rest. And scripture says that God wasn't even tired either, but he purposely rested. We know in Isaiah 40, 28, that God is omnipotent. He is the everlasting God. He does not grow tired or weary. But we see something interesting about the seventh day in that God modeled resting from work. He purposely rested from and stopped his regular responsibilities. And it's this idea that God resting includes other ideas than that of being tired, which helps us understand that the Sabbath isn't exclusively to those who are tired, but the Sabbath's purpose is to establish a rhythm to life, regularly setting aside, setting aside time in which we intentionally stop, connect with God. Stop and connect with God. Instead of God doing more, he ceased and he stopped from his work. The reality is we will always have unfinished projects. We'll always have unfinished products. 
But when we take time to stop and connect with God, we acknowledge our limits and we connect to a God who is limitless. When we take time to stop, we acknowledge our limits and we connect to a God who is limitless. Mr. Rogers is quoted as saying, it's important to know when we need to stop, reflect, and receive. In our competitive world, that might be called a waste of time. When I was thinking about this quote, the Lord gave me this insight, and it was this. For the Christian, time with God is never wasted. But time is wasted when we replace time with the eternal God for temporary things. Time is wasted when we replace time with God with temporary things. Here today, gone tomorrow. You see, the Sabbath is an opportunity to rest our physical bodies while simultaneously allowing God to pour into us, to strengthen us, to empower us with his spirit and with his presence as we connect to God. The principle of the Sabbath is this, and this is our point, which is we keep the Sabbath holy by making it God-centered. If you're following along in your outline, we keep the Sabbath holy by making it God-centered. You see, in order to keep something pure, you have to remove the impurities from it. My wife is a gardener, and she tells me that if you want to grow a healthy garden, it's not just about pulling out the weeds and then just stepping back. No, you got to invest good soil. you got to nurture it. you got to give water and sunlight and allow it to rest. And you see, the Sabbath is not just about removing work and sleeping all day. No, the Sabbath is about stopping, ceasing, connecting with God. Time with Him. And so let's unpack the holiness of the Sabbath. We see in our pastor's scripture that God commands the Israelites when He says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. This word remember comes from the Hebrew word zakhar, which means to observe. But when you dive a little bit deeper into it, it's not just to recollect in our memory, but it's actually an action item. It's something that we actually do as we remember. You see, the Israelites are commanded to stop. The Israelites are commanded to stop. This is not just something that God says, oh, you could do this, you could not do this. No, he's telling them, stop. Stop. On the seventh day, God stopped. But their day off is not spent abstaining from work, thinking about work, thinking about the unfinished projects. It's not just about recouping from a hard week of work. No, this day is time spent resting in God. The Sabbath was not something that they just remembered one time. Hmm, that's good. And then forget about it. This was something that they are to remember to do weekly, often, to create a pattern and a rhythm. It was to become a regular pattern of remembering and worshiping Yahweh, their God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. 
I am the Lord your God who brought you. Remember, he brought us out of the land of slavery in Egypt. You see, the Israelites' memory of Egypt, oppressive slavery, being treated poorly and wrongly, and then God miraculously freeing them, and then they come to the Red Sea, which seems like an obstacle, but it was by means of which God would show his grace and his power. God parted the Red Sea. The Israelites walked across on dry ground. The Israelites' memory of Egypt and the Red Sea was not motivation to keeping the Sabbath. Rather, it was the reverse. When they practiced the Sabbath, they remembered what God had done. You see, whenever the Israelites forgot what God had done, they complained to and about God. When they were in the desert, when they were in the wilderness, they said things like, ugh, it'd be so much better if we could go back to Egypt because at least there's food there and a place to sleep. They forgot what God had just brought them through and miraculously saved them, and they are complaining to God. But when they practiced the Sabbath, they remembered God's goodness and their feelings changed. And this is the question. The question is not, can you remember what God has done? The question is, will you practice the Sabbath to remember? The question is not, can you remember? The question is, will you practice the Sabbath to remember what God has done? On the seventh day of creation, God stopped to rest. In Genesis 1.26, God says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. The essence of being in God's image has many components, but one of which is our ability, like God, to stop. Like God, to stop. God intended this rhythm of life, and if the Israelites can remember to stop for the Sabbath, they reflect their God who demonstrated stopping and resting. And it's this idea that a God who cares enough to provide a day for unhurried time with him must really care about his children. God must really care about the well-being and the health and the vitality of his children if he's providing an opportunity for them to stop. When the Israelites remember to practice the Sabbath, they reveal their love for God and how important God is in sustaining their life. And when I was thinking about this, as I was reflecting upon my week, in the span of a week and when I look at my life, does my schedule reflect that my life depends upon God sustaining me? Does our life, when we look back this past week, reflect upon a life that is dependent upon God sustaining us? Or is it just about going to sleep at a good time? Sleep's important. God's more important. He sustains. He gives life. In our passage of Scripture, 
It says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. It comes from the Hebrew word kadash, which means to keep sacred, to sanctify. The word holy has two meanings, purity and set apart. Purity and set apart. This pure means to remove the impurities and to set apart, to be used exclusively for something. And for this, and for this case, it's used exclusively for God. The Sabbath is. The Israelites are encouraged to do both, to set aside a day every week to pursue God and allow him to clean up their hearts, to remove the impurities so that God can pour himself in. It's about intentional time with God, the Sabbath is. It's an opportunity for God to purify their hearts. Exodus 31, 13, God says, I am the Lord your God who makes you holy. I am the Lord your God who makes you holy. You see, you purify water by boiling it. You purify the air by a filtration system. And you purify a heart comes from the Lord. As Christians, it's a gradual process of continually being reformed, reshaped, developing new habits, new desires into the likeness of Jesus. As we surrender to and spend time with God, God cleans us up and he imparts his pure qualities, his strength to reflect who he is. 1 John 1.7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If you take just a moment just to step back and to help us understand this passage of Scripture, let's say that we're in a dark room. You can't really see everything that's around you. But when you open up the blinds and allow the sun to shine, it becomes more apparent of your surroundings, and the dust. For someone like me, when I see the dust, I want to clean it up right away. I was talking to someone uh, after the first service, and they said, now, Pastor Jetty, not everyone, when they see the dust, wants to clean it up right away. I get that, but it's ultimately best to clean it up, or else we got tumbleweeds everywhere. It's this idea that God is light. Anytime we get closer to God, he exposes the darkness. The darkness refers to sin within our life. And the purpose of God exposing it is not to embarrass us, but it's to clean us up, to be purified, so that when people see us, they see an accurate reflection of who he is. And when I was thinking about this last night, this purity and the setting apart that God wants to do within our life. I was reminded of 1 Peter 2.9, which says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. So it helps us understand that our purpose is to be a witness of what we have experienced. Okay. So if part of my responsibility is to witness about what Jesus is doing, maybe I need to go through those hard times in which God has purified my life to witness 
to what Jesus is doing. Because if our life doesn't reflect what we're saying, what good is the witness? Our life becomes the witness. I was this. Now I'm this because of him. Anytime that we get closer to a holy God, he purifies us as we walk, as we spend time with him. And notice that the Israelites have a part to play in preserving the holiness of the Sabbath when he says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. God made the Sabbath holy when he blessed it and set it apart from the other six days, but the Sabbath becomes impure when the Israelites don't protect it. And it's the principle of this, that whatever we value, we protect. Whatever we value, we protect. If we value our children's safety, we protect them by having them buckle up in the car, wear a helmet when they're riding a bike, and we don't give them knives to play with. You know? Whatever we value, we protect. If we value our health, we protect it by exercising, eating healthy, good sleep, going to the doctor to get routinely checked up. If the Israelites value time with God, they will protect it. They will keep it safe from things that can distract them from time with God. They will protect it from things that can distract them from time with God. Earlier I said it. There's always unfinished business. And often when I want to spend time with the Lord, I'm thinking about the things that still need to get done. And it's distracting me from time spent with the Lord. And so we need to surrender them. We need to lay them down to not become a distraction. Maybe we need to put our phone aside. Maybe we need to get away from, go walk somewhere to be able to spend time, intentional time with the Lord. Deuteronomy 8, 11 through 14 reminds us that be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to obey his commands. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and your silver and gold increase, your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God. It's not only about putting away distractions, but it's also about expressing thanks to God. You see, we all can become prideful. We all can become prideful thinking that all that we have is the result of what I have done. This is mine. I built this. I put the time and effort into this. This is mine. We all can become prideful. And what we forget is that God has given us the ability to work, to provide. You see, we keep the Sabbath holy by praising God and remembering that he created us. It is God who gives us life and breath. It is God who gives us talent and skills. It is God who provides and protects. What he has given to us is our response of being good stewards of what he has blessed us. It's not ours. It's his. And it helps other people. You see, we keep the Sabbath holy by not merely thinking about it, but practical engagement. It's not enough to just think about how much you love your spouse. It's not even enough to just verbally say that you love your spouse. We express love to our spouse through selfless actions. 
selfless actions. In the same way, we keep the Sabbath holy by not just thinking about the Sabbath, not even verbally agreeing about how important the Sabbath is, but by humbly spending time with God. Isaiah 58, 13 says, Keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't pursue your own interests that day. And Jesus said in John 14, 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. Love for God is expressed in obeying him. We don't earn God's love, but we reveal how much we love God by doing what he asks us to do. When I was thinking about this whole process of just understanding the holiness of the Sabbath and time spent with God, I came across this quote, and it went something like this. Not many people really enjoy what God intended us to enjoy on the Sabbath, namely, himself. Allow that to sink in for a moment. Not many people really enjoy what God intended us to enjoy on the Sabbath, which is himself. The author goes on to say, many people would rather watch TV, play sports, sleep, shop, than spend time with God. Therefore, if our hearts are set on the pleasures of this world rather than on God, the Sabbath will be a burden rather than a blessing. In the New Testament, Jesus gives a whole new meaning to the Sabbath when he says in Mark 2, 27, that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Well, what does that mean? Well, God gave me this insight, and maybe this might be helpful for you. God did not create human beings to just keep the Sabbath. God did not create us to just keep the Sabbath. Rather, the Sabbath was created to keep us. The Sabbath was created to keep us rested at our best as we spend time with him. Jesus didn't abolish the Sabbath, but he refocused it when he said in Matthew 12, 8, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus came to finish the work of God the Father, and he invites all of us to find our strength in him when he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me. An invitation. We can either choose to come to Jesus or not come to Jesus. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary, exhausted, tired, overworked, carrying heavy burdens, weighed down by emotions, thoughts, words from other people, grief, anxiety. And when we come to Jesus and when we surrender to him, God says, I will give you rest. You see, we keep the holiness of the Sabbath when we pursue Jesus to fill us. We keep the holiness of the Sabbath when we pursue Jesus to fill us. I don't think it's by accident that Pastor Scott uh, gave me this topic uh, this morning. You wouldn't know this unless I told you this, but lately I have been very tired. And my emotions have been irritable, too. On the surface level, I have said things like this. I just need to sleep more, and I'll be better. Now, for those who know, 
you know, we have a young daughter, and so we're raising her, and so, well, Pastor Jetty, you know, you had a, a big life change, and raising a daughter, you know, she doesn't always sleep when you want her to sleep, so I get it, you know, you're a little bit tired, but it'll get better. Very easily, I could blame my daughter on why I'm tired. But I think the Lord is revealing something to me through my daughter. That she's exposing something that was already there before she came. It's just coming more to the surface. For too long, I've relied upon earthly things to fill me, refresh me, like sleep. Rather than pursuing Jesus to fill me and refresh me. God is teaching me that my attitude and my energy changes when I rest and when I pursue Jesus to fill me. And I think that's part of the reason why God established this command for the nation of Israel. He knew that if the Israelites just took a day off from work and rested from working without connecting and allowing God to pour into them, their hearts wouldn't change. And it would increasingly become irritable, restless, hard, and arrogant. In Exodus 23, 12, it helps us understand that the Sabbath refreshes our soul. It means to breathe or to be breathed upon. You see, when we work all the time, when we have so many responsibilities, when we have so many things going on, we don't even have time to even take a breath. <sighs> and oftentimes we collapse. You see, the Sabbath is an opportunity to both take a breath, but even more important for God to breathe into us. God breathed life into Adam and Eve. God breathed life into a dead man named Lazarus. When God breathes, there's life. Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. If you find that you're drained, lacking passion, desire, and energy, if you're putting forth efforts and the results are less than ideal, maybe what we need is not more sleep, but more of God in our life. Martin Luther said, the spiritual rest which God particularly intends in this commandment is this, that we not only cease from our labor and trade, but much more, that we let God alone work in us, and that we do nothing of our own with all of our powers. See, the Sabbath is not just about ceasing to work, it's about God empowering our life. You see, we can, be so, we can become so consumed with the command that we miss the intent of what the command is that God is giving. The Sabbath is not about what we lose, it's what we gain. God empowering our life. His grace is sufficient in all seasons of life. You see, we keep the Sabbath holy, but we also need to make it God-centered. We see in our passage of Scripture that God makes it very clear who it's for. He says this in, in verse 10, But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. The focus, the direction, what we focus on, it's to the Lord, Yahweh, the proper name of God for the nation of Israel. This is time specifically set apart for their God. 
not to pursue their own desires, not to catch up on work, but to pursue Jesus. Remember, God is speaking, and he's saying to the nation of Israel, you reveal that I am your God, and you are my people when you willingly spend time with me. You reveal that you are my people, and I am your God when you willingly, joyfully want to spend time with me. You see, every Sabbath reminds us to be still and know that I am God. Every Sabbath also reminds us to not worry about everything. Instead, we trust God with everything because he's in control and he's God. So what about the practical side to this? Well, for those who have grown up in the church, most often when we hear the word Sabbath, we immediately attribute it to Sunday. And we also usually attribute it to rules. No shopping, no swimming, no having fun. You sit still and do nothing. But when I talk about being God-centered and the practicality of this, I don't want us to be so consumed with a day. I don't want us to be so consumed with what we're not allowed to do. But I want us to be consumed with spending uninterrupted time with God. Uninterrupted time with God. The Sabbath is not just a day of rules or inactivity. Rather, we make the Sabbath God-centered when we focus on worshiping God. We make the Sabbath God-centered when we focus on spending time of worshiping God. Luke 4, 8 says, Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only with all your heart. So, practically, what does this look like? Well, the Sabbath can be spent maybe attending corporate worship. It could be fellowship with other Christians. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. It could be reading and meditating on God's word. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It could be walking in nature. The heavens declare, the nature declares the glory and the magnificence of who God is. It could be listening. It could be talking with God through prayer. And also, it could be intentionally doing something kind and generous to somebody in need. But we keep it God-centered by pointing people to Jesus. I'm doing this as an expression of God's love for you. As God has blessed me, I'm blessing you. This is God. These are his resources. This is him. Whatever ways that really make it the Lord's day. Whatever ways that really make it the Lord's day. I'm sure you've heard this quote. If we fail to plan, we plan to fail. You see, if we don't schedule time in our week to pursue God, then inevitably we will fill it up with other things, other responsibilities, other work, other commitments. You see, our world places value in how many hours you work that week, and it rewards busyness. But God, on the other hand, places value in planning time in our schedule to stop and spend time with him. God is not encouraging laziness. He's not saying to quit your job. Rather, we establish a God-centered life when we regularly take time to be with God 
and be filled by him. As we come to a close, I can't help but think there may be people like me that are tired, discouraged, frustrated, overwhelmed. And you may have, when you look at your schedule, it's just so busy. God established this rhythm for life. And when we look at the creation account, God demonstrated it too. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's ultimately in our best interest to take a time to rest and spend time with God so that what we're pouring out and how our life reflects is God. In just a moment, you're going to watch a testimony from my dad about what the Lord taught him about the importance of resting and spending time with him. Let's check it out. Quite a few years ago, I had uh, a really awkward and very painful experience. Uh, as a pastor, as a young pastor especially, I used to pride myself in how many days I could go and how many weeks I could go without taking a break. Uh, I used to almost brag about the fact that I would go years without taking all of my weeks of vacation. Uh, well, one night, it was a Saturday night, about one o'clock in the morning, church was the next day. Uh, I woke up with a, just excruciating pain. I mean, it was the worst pain I had ever experienced in my life. And uh, I woke up Helen and I just continued to be in pain for about an hour, two hours went by. And finally, uh, about two or three o'clock in the morning, we called the ambulance and they took me to the ER. They took me in and they began looking to see what the problem was. And the initial diagnosis was that I had food poisoning. And so they gave me that charcoal stuff to try and get rid of the poison that was, that was in my stomach because that's where the pain was. Uh, but the charcoal didn't really do anything to help with the pain. And so two days later uh, in the ER, a different doctor looked at me and he says, he says, Mr. Elliott, he says, I, I don't think this is uh, uh, food poisoning. He says, I think you've got a gallbladder problem. And so they, they went in and they took a look and sure enough, they, the surgeon told me later that it was uh, the worst gallbladder that he had ever seen. He said it was almost gangrene and they had to do the major surgery. So across my stomach, even as I'm sitting here right now, I've got a cut that's about 12 inches long. They had to cut through my stomach muscles. And so the surgery was very successful. I mean, immediate relief from the pain. But because of how they did the surgery with a, with a large incision and cutting through my stomach muscles, um, I was out of commission. I mean, I was flat on my back and I didn't have any muscles to be able to, to sit up. In about six weeks, I was just laying in bed uh, recuperating and I, and I couldn't pastor, I couldn't preach, I couldn't do anything. And I remember it was during that time I was looking at scripture one day and I, I looked at this the 23rd Psalm that probably many of us know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And it's the next verse that, that caught my attention where it says, he maketh me lie down in green pastures. And I had a, a friend at that time in Ottawa who's a rabbi at a Jewish synagogue. And so I called him and I said, I said, I've never noticed this, this phrase, he maketh me lie down in green pastures. It, it, it's, it's not he suggests or he's providing for me lay down. It, it seems like a stronger word. And he says, yes, he said, Hebrew word that's used there is not that he just allows us to lay down. It's actually that he shoves us down. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. And I understood from that experience that it was actually the mercy of God that was shoving me down, forcing me to take a break because 
if I continued with my patterns of living, uh, I would inevitably would have burned out in ministry and never been able to survive in the long haul. But God in his mercy shoved me down for about six weeks so that I would learn to follow the patterns of life that, that God had established, the rhythms where we where we do take a Sabbath, we do take days off, where we focus on a relationship with God to make sure that we're well rested. And so that's just something that happened to me a number of years ago. And, and I know that uh, Jenny would want me to share that.